Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 271, The Hermitage. Last time, we told the horrendous tale of the Moscow show trials. Today, we venture into a story about one of the world's greatest museums, the Hermitage. Founded initially to collect works of art on May 16, 1703, it didn't really become a, a real museum until 1764 under the reign of Catherine the Great. It celebrates its anniversary on December 7th, also known as St. Catherine's Day in Russia. But it is not the Catherine you think it is. Instead, it commemorates the martyrdom of St. Catherine of Alexandria, one of the 14 holy helpers who supposedly was beheaded on orders of Roman Emperor Maximinius II around 305 AD. The word hermitage means home of a hermit. The building was initially given this name because of its exclusivity in its early days, because only very few people were allowed to visit. It wouldn't open to the public until 1852, although I'm sure it wasn't open to everyone, just those in the higher ranking in society. Initially, it was only the private holding place for the art gathered by Catherine. Finally, Nicholas I decided to make it a public facility with its reconstruction and expansion beginning in 1840. In 2022, the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg recorded around 2.8 million visitors, ranking 10th among all art museums worldwide. Although, with the current situation concerning the war between Ukraine and Russia, I'd venture to guess that this will be a much lower number in 2023. As for its size, the Hermitage is the second largest in the world, right behind the Louvre in Paris. The gallery space comes in around 67,000 square meters or 720,000 square feet. So if you've ever been to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, it is about 90,000 square feet larger than that and approximately 60,000 square feet smaller than the Louvre. So basically, it is still really, really big. The Hermitage is not just one large building. It's a series of structures all next to each other on the palace embankment across the Neva River from the Peter and Paul Fortress. All in all, there are six buildings in the main museum complex. Only five, the Winter Palace, Small Hermitage, Old Hermitage, New Hermitage, and Hermitage Theater are open to the public. It was recently expanded to the General Staff Building and Palace Square, facing the Winter Palace and the Menshikov Palace. The original building with exhibits was the Small Hermitage. As I mentioned previously, it would begin its most extensive expansion under Nicholas I. This was necessary as the collections of art, history, gems, and much, much more kept growing and growing. The Hermitage holdings include nearly 3 million items dating from the Stone Age to present. Among them is one of the world's richest collection of Western European paintings since the Middle Ages, including many masterpieces by Renaissance Italian, 
and Baroque Dutch, Flemish, and French painters. In addition, Russian art is well represented. The Hermitage also has extensive holdings of Asian art. Especially noteworthy is its collection of the art of Central Asia. Catherine the Great began collecting art in 1764 when she began purchasing paintings from Berlin merchant Johann Ernst Godzowski. He initially started the collection for Frederick II of Prussia, but he ultimately refused to buy it. This caused Godzowski to have to find a new buyer. He provided 225 or 317 paintings, and there's conflicting accounts listing both numbers of mainly Flemish and Dutch artists and others to Catherine the Great. The collection consisted of 13 Rembrandts, 11 Rubens, 7 Jacob Jordanes, 5 by Anthony van Dyck, 5 by Paolo Veronese, and others by Franz Hals, Raphael, Holbein, Titian, Jan Steen, Hendrik Goltzius, Dirk van Baubrin, Henrik van Balen, and Gerrit van Honthorst. This collection, in and of itself, is impressive, but it was obviously only the beginning. When the museum opened to the public in 1852, one of the first displays was that of ancient Egyptian antiquities. It included a collection of figurines from Countess Alexandra Laval, previously stored in her mansion on the English embankment, and they further received items collected in Egypt by Maximilian, Duke of Lustenberg, including two black basalt sarcophagi of the late period, now displayed in the middle of the hall. In 1862, the collection expanded significantly as the Imperial Academy of Sciences purchased a collection from Carlo Ottavio Castiglione from Milan in 1826. It consisted of more than 900 items and was the core of the Egyptian Museum of the Kunstkamera, which was transferred to the Hermitage. Through the rest of the 19th century, the collection continued to grow. Even with the Bolsheviks coming to power, it still expanded under Vastili Struv, who was in charge of the Hermitage's Egyptian collection from 1918 to 1933. Moving on, we now enter the Classical Antiquities section, which occupies most of the ground floor of the old and new Hermitage buildings. The interiors of the ground floor were designed by German architect Leo von Klenz in the early 1850s. The collection of classical antiquities features Greek artifacts from the 3rd millennium to the 5th millennium BCE, ancient Greek pottery, items from the Greek cities of the North Pontic, Greek colonies, Hellenistic sculpture and jewelry, including engraved gems and cameos, such as the famous Gonzaga cameo, Italic art from the 9th, century, 9th to the 2nd century BCE, Roman marble and bronze sculpture, and applied art from the 1st century BC to the 4th century AD, including copies of classical and Hellenistic Greek sculptures. The following section on the ground floor in the western wing of the Winter Palace is where the collections of prehistoric artifacts, the culture and art of the Caucasus, and the second treasure gallery. 
The prehistoric artifacts date from the Paleolithic to the Iron Age and were excavated throughout Russia and other parts of the Soviet, former Soviet Union and the Russian Empire. Among some of the items exhibited, there's a renowned collection of the art and culture of nomadic tribes of the Altai from Pazrik and Bashtar sites, including the world's oldest surviving knotted pile carpet and a well-preserved wooden chariot, both from the 4th to the 3rd centuries BCE. In addition, the Caucasian ex exhibition includes a collection of Uratu artifacts from Armenia and Western Armenia. We now enter the area holding jewelry and decorative art. It consists of four small rooms on the ground floor, enclosed in the middle of the new hermitage, between the room displaying classical antiquities, and compromises, comprises the first treasure gallery featuring Western jewelry from the 4th millennium BCE to the early 20th century AD. The second treasure gallery, located on the ground floor in the southwest corner of the Winter Palace, features jewelry from the Pontic Steppes, Caucasus, and Asia, particularly Scythian and Sarmatian gold. Visitors may only visit the treasure galleries as part of a guided tour, as the value of some of the pieces in the exhibition are priceless. We now move on to the Italian Renaissance section. The rooms on the first floor of the old Hermitage were designed by Andre Stackenschneider in revival styles between 1851 and 1860, although the design survives only in some of them. They feature works of Italian Renaissance artists, including Giorgione, Titian, and Veronese, as well as Benoit Madonna and Madonna Litta, and they are attributed to the Leonardo da Vinci school. The Italian Renaissance galleries continue in the eastern wing of the new Hermitage, with paintings, sculptures, and tapestry from Italy of the 15th to 16th century, including Constable Madonna and Madonna with Beardless St. Joseph by Raphael. In addition, the gallery known as the Raphael Logias, designed by Giacomo Correngi and painted by Christopher Unterberger in his workshop in the 1780s, was a replication of the gallery in the Apostolic Palace in Rome, frescoed by Raphael, and this runs across the eastern facade. The Italian and Spanish art section on the first floor of the new Hermitage contains three large interior spaces in the center of the museum complex, with red walls lit from above by skylights. These are adorned with 19th century Russian lapidary works and feature Italian and Spanish canvases of the 16th to 18th centuries, which included Veronese, Giambattista Pitoni, Tintoretto, Velasquez, and Murillo. The Italian and Spanish fine art of the 15th centuries includes Michelangelo's Crouching Boy and paintings by El Greco, and they are displayed in the middle of smaller rooms alongside the skylight rooms. Next up, we have the Knights Hall, a large room in the eastern part of the new Hermitage, originally designed in the Greek Revival style for the display of coins, although now it also hosts a collection of Western European arms and armor from the 15th and 17th centuries, part of the Hermitage Arsenal collection. 
Finally, the hall of twelve columns in the southeast corner of the new Hermitage is adorned with columns of grey granite and also designed in the Greek Revival style to display coins, but is now used for temporary exhibitions. We now head to the Gallery of the History of Ancient Painting, which adjoins the Knights Hall and flanks the Skylight Rooms. It was designed by Leo von Klenz in the Greek Revival style as a prelude to the museum and featured neoclassical marble sculptures by Antonio Canova and his followers. In the middle, the gallery opens to the main staircase of the new Hermitage, which served as the entrance to the museum before the October Revolution of 1917, but is now closed. The upper gallery of this staircase is adorned with 20 gray granite columns and features 19th century European sculpture and Russian lapidary works. From here, we travel to the unique Dutch Golden Age and Flemish Baroque room. The rooms and galleries along the southern facade and in the western wing of the new Hermitage and now are entirely devoted to Dutch Golden Age and Flemish Baroque paintings of the 17th century, including the impressive, extensive collections of Van Dyck, Rubens, and Rembrandt. They also contain several paintings by John Bruegel, the Elder, which is the Velvet Period, Franz Schneider, the Fish Market, Gerard Terborch, Paulus Potter, Jacob von Roosdale, Jean van Goyen, Ferdinand Boll, and Gerhard von Honthorst. The first floor rooms on the southern facade of the Winter Palace are occupied by collections of German fine art of the 16th century and French fine art of the 15th to 18th centuries. In addition, the collections of French decorative and applied art from the 17th to 18th centuries and British applied and fine art from the 16th to 19th century including Thomas Gainsborough and Joshua Reynolds. They're displayed in nearby rooms facing the courtyard. The area also holds paintings by German artists, including Hans Ferdinger, Lucas Cranach the Elder, Barthel Brun the Elder, Caspar David Friedrich, Anton Mengs, Hans Thoma, Anselm Feuerbach, Franz Stuck, and Heinrich Kampendonck, as well as paintings by Spanish I mean, Swiss painters, Angelica Kaufmann, Alexander Calamay, Arnold Bocklin, and Ferdinand Hodler. The richly decorated interiors of the first floor of the Winter Palace on its eastern, northern, and western sides are part of the Russian Culture Collection and hosts exhibitions of Russian art from the 11th through the 19th centuries. In addition, temporary exhibitions are usually held in the Nicholas Hall. French neoclassical, Impressionist, and post-Impressionist art, including works by Renoir, Monet, Van Gogh, and Gauguin, are displayed on the fourth floor of the eastern wing of the General Staff Building. We'll be back after a quick break. Have you ever wondered what the band ACDC has to do with the missing town of Dublin, Wisconsin? Or who gets to decide what music plays at the end of the world? or whether or not the largest unsolved art heist in history was actually a cover for a different crime. Maybe you haven't wondered about these things, but that's okay. On 31, we dive into strange, true, but often lesser-known stories and the interesting theories that surround them. 
From space to sports, lost media to internet lore, 31 has something for everyone. Find 31 on your favorite podcast platform and dive into the why behind the weird with me, Quinn Lovecraft. 31, the why behind the weird. Also shown are paintings by Camille Passaro, his painting Boulevard Montmartre, Paris. Paul Cézanne, Alfred Sisley, Henri Malot, and Degas. Moving on to the last of the artistic displays, modern art is shown in the general staff building. It features Matisse, Derain, and other Fauvists, Picasso, Malevich, Petrocelli, Kadinsky, Giacomo Manzu, Giorgio Morandi, and Rockwell Kent. A large room is devoted to German romantic art of the 19th century, including several paintings by Caspar David Friedrich. The second floor of the western wing features collections of oriental art from China, India, Mongolia, Tibet, Central Asia, Byzantium, and the Near East. This is a surprise to me, as during the Soviet era, modern art was looked down on, and under the present administration and the influence of the Russian Orthodox Church, there's a tempered collection of more controversial modern art. Now, let's return to the Hermitage's museum's history and development. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Catherine the Great used the buildings Empress Elizabeth had initially built for her growing art collection. The Winter Palace that Elizabeth had constructed was not the first one. It is actually the fourth, designed by Francesco Bartolomo Rastarelli. He would first be commissioned by Empress Anna, but Elizabeth would be the one to make it into an actual palace. Before Elizabeth, it would be described by the Russian historian Vasily Kluchevsky as a place of gilded squalor. Afterward, it would be equal to any location in Europe. When Catherine came to power, she enlisted Ivan Yegorovich Stavrov and Giacomo Quarenji to expand the Winter Palace further. French architect Jean-Baptiste Valin de la Motte designed the Imperial Academy of Arts, which is also in St. Petersburg, and commissioned him to add a new wing to the Winter Palace. Empress Catherine would ask French architect uh, Valin de la Motte to add a new wing to the Winter Palace. It would also be a place where she could escape the day-to-day grind of ruling the country. It is because of this She would name it the Hermitage. It was her home as the Hermit. Catherine went on what could be described as a spending spree, acquiring artworks from all the main capitals of Europe. Naturally, she intended not to buy the best art, but to purchase as much art as possible. However, one area of genuine interest was not art, but gems and minerals. I was sent a copy of the magazine Mineral Observer, from 2018 by my brother Alex, who was a uh, world expert on minerals, and this was devoted entirely to Catherine's collection. I wish I could share the pictures, as the collection is absolutely astonishing. Johann Gottlieb Georgi said this about the display when he visited it, quote, There are few natural wonders in the Hermitage. But in 1786, besides the greenhouse and the aviary and the hanging gardens, Empress had bought a splendid collection from Palas, the famous researcher of nature. 
It also received many wonders from all parts of Russian land. He mentioned Peter Simon Palas, a renowned traveler, naturalist, scientist, and researcher. Palas would help begin gathering specimens for Catherine's display. He would also systematize her natural collection. After Palas, Catherine appointed Peter Soimonov to expand her collection. He would focus most of his energy on Russian resources for the gems and minerals to display at the Hermitage. The czars that followed Catherine would continue expanding this museum section. However, many of the gems and minerals would eventually end up at the St. Petersburg State Mining Institute. Alexander I would buy up a large number of pieces of art throughout Europe that were looted by the French during the reign of Napoleon. In fact, a collection held by Josephine Bonaparte would become a prized possession of the Hermitage. Nicholas I would continue to expand the museum, as I mentioned before, hiring German neoclassical architect Leo von Klenz to design a building for the public museum. Under Tsar Alexander II, in 1861, the Hermitage purchased part of the Giampetro Campana collection from the Roman papacy, mainly consisting of classical antiquities. These included over 500 vases, 200 bronzes, and several marble statues. In addition, the Hermitage acquired Madonna Lita, which was then attributed to Leonardo da Vinci in 1865, and Raphael's Constabile Madonna in 1870. Under his son, Alexander III, the buying sprees continued. Unfortunately, I couldn't find very much about Nicholas II and his influence on the museum. Of course, things would change dramatically for the Hermitage after the October Revolution and the rise of the Bolshevik Party. But lest you think this was a doom and gloom scenario for the museum, think again. All the adjoining buildings previously used by the Tsar and their family were converted into parts of the Hermitage. Also, artworks confiscated by the Bolsheviks throughout Russia from the nobility were transferred to St. Petersburg, of course now called Leningrad. Uh, particularly notable was the influx of old manners, masters from the Catherine Palace, the Alexandra Palace, the Stroganov Palace, and the Yusupov Palace, as well as from other palaces of St. Petersburg and its suburbs. There were some losses of art in the 1920s and 30s, as some of the collections were sent to other existing and new museums throughout the Soviet Union. Unfortunately, with the Soviet government strapped for cash, they ordered the Hermitage staff to compile a list of valuable works of art for export. From 1930 to 1934, over 2,000 works of art from the Hermitage collection were clandestinely sold at auctions abroad or directly to foreign officials and business people. The sold items included Raphael's Alba Madonna, Titian's Venus with a Mirror, and Jan van Eyck's Annunciation, along with other world-known masterpieces by Botticelli, Rembrandt, Van Dyck, and others. In 1931, after negotiations, Andrew W. Mellon acquired 21 works of art from the Hermitage and later donated them to form a nucleus of the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. This would end in 1934 
rumored to be as a result of a letter from Joseph Stalin from the deputy director of the Hermitage, Joseph Orbelli, protesting the sale of Russia's treasures. The director at the time, Boris Legrand, was dismissed with Orbelli replacing him. While I have no hard evidence, I feel that Legrand's death in 1936 at the age of 52 wasn't of natural causes. When the Nazis invaded Soviet Union and began the horrific siege of Leningrad, trainloads of the artworks were sent to the city of Sverdlovsk. They would return after the lifting of the siege. While two bombs and a number of shells hit the Hermitage, the damage was far less than expected. As a result, the museum reopened in 1945. In 1991, it became known that some paintings looted by the Red Army in Germany in 1945 were held in the Hermitage. But only in October 1994 did the Hermitage officially announce that it had secretly kept a significant trove of French Impressionist and Post-Impressionist paintings from German private collections. The exhibition, Hidden Treasures Revealed, where 74 paintings were displayed for the first time, opened on March 30, 1995, in the Nicholas Hall of the Winter Palace, and lasted a year. However, none have been returned to Germany, and there seems no intention to ever do so, as most of the pieces were for private collections and not held by the German government. Today, the Hermitage is still one of the most impressive museums in the world, a place I hope to visit one day. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time when we cover another artsy topic, Fabergé, more than just eggs. So, until next time, das vidanya y spasiba za vinyamanya.